two lit chicks, Book Bites, Julia and Ed. Welcome to another Book Bites quiz. Must be Friday. Uh, we have Melissa Addy with us today. And if you listened to our chat with her on Wednesday, then you'll know that Melissa is a historical fiction writer, uh, self-published. And she also works with the Alliance of Independent Authors and gave us a fascinating chat through the income survey that they did recently. But today she's here to challenge the chicks. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so Melissa, tell us about the, the quiz that you'll be doing for us today. Okay, so this is taken from a quote um, from Professor Anthony Jackson at Manchester University. And he said that a reader should be startled. And so I thought, okay, good. I will startle by doing a very random set of topics that are just things that I'm interested in, but which have literary links. So that's that's where I'm coming at it from. Fantastic. <laughs> Sounds. I hope it's multiple choice. Uh, <laughs> some are and yeah. some aren't, just to keep uh, you on your toes. Keep us on our toes. Cool. Okay. So are you ready, Ed? I'm, I'm ready to be startled. I'm quite far behind Julia in the quiz state. So I'm hoping that this, <laughs> this, this new theme will, uh, will yeah, will, will give me a shot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's get started. Okay. So a mount weasel is a made up word used by dictionary or map makers as a copyright trap to avoid other creatives from stealing their work. Because if they used the made up word, then they'd copied it rather than done their own research. So which famous historical fiction author caught out other authors because they copied a historical fact she had made up and true facts that only she had access to? Mount Weasel. That's a great insult for your enemy, isn't it? Your Mount Weasel. Yeah, Mount Weasel. I like it. I've just put down like the one historical, the one that came to mind. Uh, it's I probably think, not right. We probably put down the same one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, I said Philippa Gregory. Oh, okay. I said um, Mantel. Okay. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> So the answer, you would like me to give you the answer now? Yeah, yeah. So the answer is Georgette Heyer. Uh, oh. And she was known for meticulous research and she didn't like other authors just copying the work she'd done. So yeah. that's her. That's, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah. And there's two books you might like to read. One is Georgette Heyer's Regency Buck. And the other one is something called The Liar's Dictionary by Ely Williams, which is all about Mount Weasels. So like start you off there on the Mount Weasel quest. That question was a Mount Weasel. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to have a couple now on historical fiction because it is my area. So if a woman in China, in the last uh, dynasty of China, so the Qing period, showed up for selection as an imperial concubine with bound feet what would happen? Would she be chosen as an empress or concubine or sent home in disgrace? Oh, 50-50. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Amazing. I'm going to say sent home in disgrace. I'm saying chosen. Okay. So the answer is that you'd be sent home in disgrace and fined because only the Han Chinese bound women's feet the ruling class, who were the Qing dynasty, were a different ethnic group, and they repeatedly tried to ban foot binding. So no imperial concubine or empress had bound feet. I fell for the, <laughs> I fell for the double love. Yeah, see? Where's your so, game theory, Ed? <laughs> I know. Fail me there. 
So a book you might like to read on that is Lisa C's Snowflower and the Secret Fan, which is two hand women, one of whom has her feet bound and the other one doesn't and it, it changes their destinies. Um, and also I write the Forbidden City series and they are imperial concubines, so they don't get their feet bound. So. Love it. <laughs> um, so in Morocco, in the 11th century, what did Muslim Berbers wear on their faces? The women fully veiled their faces, the men fully veiled their faces, or both men and women fully veiled their faces? I'm going to go with both men and women. I'm going to go with just men. Why not? Okay. So the men fully veiled their faces. Oh. It was considered really inappropriate for a man to show his face to anyone except his close family at home. And women wore headdresses with wrapped cloths, but their faces were not veiled at all. So oh. that's an interesting one. Uh, so books you might like to read is The Quest for El Cid by Richard L. Fletcher. Um, because El Cid was fighting the Moroccan Berbers, so he's on the other side. Uh, and I wrote a series called The Moroccan Empire following the group that was fighting El Cid. So you could oh, get a, a, some insights I'm enjoying these, the... <laughs> these book choices for each question. That's quite a nice yeah. New, yeah. new thing. Okay, so what was the popular white, very simple column dress of the Regency period based on? So you, you have in mind those those Austin dresses. What's that based on? What's it based on? Hmm. I'm going to say, like, <laughs> I mean, is it too simple to say it's based on actual columns? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's I, a good, I, I, I like it. I said, I said the Dalit column of a neoclassical building. Oh, very nice. <laughs> so not, really I, not ionic, not ionic. <laughs> it's got to be Dalit. Dalit one specifically. Yeah. Yeah. You're nearly there because basically it was based on classical Roman and Greek statues. So they were looking at these white uh, classical statues. There was a big craze for Roman things because of Pompeii being dug up at the time. Oh. So the women were trying to emulate the white tunic dresses. And it was also popular to wear coral beads because of finds from Pompeii. So that's so where it, that suddenly uh, came from. Yeah. In a sense, we were right. Yeah, <laughs> you were. You were nearly right. It was the columns, but um, so nearly mean, really. Like be... <laughs> I, Ed, I'm I'm gonna call. I don't think we can take that point. Uh, okay. <laughs> see, this is where half points would have come in handy. I'm just saying. Yeah. If, I, if I if I ever see a column that's also a statue, I'm gonna ring you up. Say, Hold on. Very good. Um, so books you might like to read is Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen and Mary Beard's Emperor of Rome, which is going to come out in September. And I think it's going to be a really good read. I love Mary Beard. Um, oh, have, you, have you read her? Um, I forgot the name of it, but the, the other ancient Rome one. Yes, that's the yes. one. Yeah. Brilliant, yes. doesn't it? She's wonderful. She's just such a fantastic um, author. She's just She just makes it come alive. And she's fantastic because she'll she'll translate Latin inscriptions that look really fancy and then she'll be like, it says, well, duh, at the end. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> and she just really brings it to life. It's brilliant. I love her. Um, okay. Can you name at least three items from the famous Wind in the Willows picnic? Oh, God. Uh, okay. <laughs> you see what uh, I mean about startling I'm going all over the place with the genres here <laughs> I'm really guessing on this one uh, there's food and drink to help you out there a little bit just just as a, a, oh. a, a tip 
And I'm going to let you go first with this one. <laughs> okay. So I said um, tea, sandwiches, and sausages. Okay. I said scones, cucumber sandwiches, and tarts. Okay. So I'm going to read you the quote. It says, there's cold chicken inside it, replied the rat briefly. Cold tongue, cold ham, cold beef, pickled gherkins, salad, French rolls, crest sandwiches, spotted potted meat, ginger beer, lemonade, soda water. Oh, stop, stop, cried the mole in ecstasies. This is too much. <laughs> how is how is there no tea and all that? I know, right? <laughs> I know. Maybe they couldn't get, they didn't have a flask. And not a single tart. No. Or a scone. What's going no, on? <laughs> I know. It's a funny, it's a very funny piece. I, I really like it. It makes me laugh. Oh. So there's things you might like to read. One is The Wind in the Willows, obviously, by Kenneth Graham. Um, there's also some sites you might like to look at, and I'll um, I'll send you the, um, the links for them, which is where cooks make recipes prompted by books, which I love. Um, there's also a guy called the Regency Cook, paulcouchman.co.uk. Uh, he does Regency cooking courses online and you can take part. And he'll send you the recipes and then he'll do a live cooking demonstration and people send in what they've cooked and it's the most fun. I'm doing it as part of research for future books and it's just brilliant. <laughs> I love it. That's also like fun. It's really fun. Oh. Okay, so which self-published author outsold the Harry Potter books in the UK with a crime series? I know that one. <laughs> Shall we say it together, Ed? All right, three. One, two, three. L.J. Ross. L.J. Ross. Yeah, that's her. So, uh, self-published crime novelist. She recently celebrated selling eight million copies of her books. So, amazing. And her crime series is the DCI Ryan series. Um, so which, which Ed is addicted to. There you go. Yeah, so I'm up to that the That is now. what you want to be it's reading. <laughs> Okay, what percentage of books sold are part of a series? That's fiction and non-fiction. You've got 25%, 50%, 75%. I'm going with 75%. Going 50%. Okay, so the answer is 75%. Yeah. And the books you might like to read is Terry Pratchett. These are over 40 novels set on the Discworld. And the Dorling Kindersley Children's Anthologies, which are stunning books to explore the world and the universe. I think Dorling Kindersley do an amazing job on children's reference books. They're really beautiful. Uh, that's that one. Um, so poetry doesn't sell. This is a common phrase. Um, which self-published poet has sold 11 million copies of her books? Oh, God. I don't know. No, no. Um, this is why I awkwardly try and think of any self-published poets. Poetry, not my... Amanda well, Gorman. <laughs> She's not self-published. Po poetry beyond 1950, not my strongest point. <laughs> um, if you want Byron, I'm here. Or Emily Dickinson, <laughs> I'm here for you. Um... I like how you're still struggling to come up with an answer. We just don't know the answer, do we? <laughs> yeah, okay. I don't know. I, okay, yeah. so the answer I'm, is I'm a sorry. woman called Rupi Kaur, and she wrote, illustrated, and self-published her first poetry collection called Milk and Honey, and she's since done a few more, and uh, she sold over 11 million copies, been translated into 43 languages, and Milk and Honey surpassed Homer's Odyssey as the best-selling poetry of all time. Wow. Wow. Kind Amazing. of awkward. We, we didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> 
So obviously you might like to read Rupi's work, but also Gillian Cross and Neil Packer's really beautifully illustrated children's copy of The Odyssey, which I gave to my children because I loved that book when I was a kid. Um, if you're going to Greece, uh, Julia, then that's the one for yeah. you to, to have cool. a look at. Put it in the suitcase. <laughs> so number nine, what job did Julia Donaldson do before she became a famous children's author? I think she, was she a teacher? I'm saying she, um, she worked for LJ Ross. LJ Ross keeps coming up, so. <laughs> <laughs> Just answer LJ Ross everything and eventually it'll, it'll hit. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the answer is she was a busker with her husband um, oh. and travelled all over Europe singing songs and making up songs and now she does children's books, of course. Um, so you might like to read Tabby McTat, which is a picture book about a busker's cat. Um, and also The Art of Asking by Amanda Palmer, who is a woman who did a lot of busking and also uh, Kickstarter type things. So here's a funny, funny story for you. So um, a friend of mine that I know through Amateur Dramatics grew up with Julia Donaldson's really? kids, I guess, or whatnot. Um, or she was a family friend. And when they would go camping, she would tell the stories that she was working on, oh like God. to workshop <gasps> on them. So like they heard early versions oh of the Gruffalo. And, that must oh be God. the most amazing like thing to then go, oh my God, look what it turned into. <laughs> wow, amazing. <laughs> Love that. Okay, so I need to pronounce this carefully. So this is, what is steganography? Can you spell that, please? S-T-E-G-A-N-O-G-R-A-P-H-Y. Or possibly steganography. Um, do, not, <laughs> do not think I don't know words where I try and use the, um, the, the, Latin, or, the, the Latin or Greek roots. <laughs> which, which sounds cool and never works. <laughs> to me, it sounded like something to do with stegosaurus. Yeah, <laughs> like <know>. dinosaurs. <laughs> Well, stenographer is someone who um, writes down um, what someone's saying, like um, uh, sort of transcription. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I guess that's that's answered the um, the the art of um, recording what what someone has said. Okay. Okay, I'll say it is uh, the art of writing with a. <laughs> the right the the art of recording people's dreams oh i like it um the answer is that it is the practice of concealing information within another message or physical object to avoid detection and it can be used to hide virtually any type of digital content including text image video or audio content so there's a couple of books you might like to read. One is This Is How You Lose the Time War by Amal El Mohtar and Max Gladstone, which is all about um, high, uh, a whole sort of um, correspondence between two spies and they keep hiding messages in things. And the other one is A Tale of Two Cities, Charles Dickens, in which Madame Defarge uses knitting to record the names of people to be executed during the French Revolution. So. <laughs> Charming nice. lady. There you go. That is the full quiz. A great word. I just realised. So I I got confused between stenography and this word was stenax. 
I can't Stegano- even say it. Steganography. So yeah. I would like to accuse those two words of being too similar. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Too similar. But maybe they're hiding, you see? They're hiding within oh, the other one's word. Oh, yeah. <laughs> layers within layers. I like Absolutely. it. Absolutely. How are your points looking? Uh, <laughs> I got three, three out of ten. Three out of ten. I got two out of ten. Okay. Well, I keep losing Julia by like one point. Very nice. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're recording these quizzes slightly out of order. Little um, hint behind the scenes. But um, if this was the order of recording, I would now be seven two behind Julia. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, you know. You need to specially commission someone with a quiz Ed, <laughs> that you really, really are interested in. It's your area. We did. Yeah. We had Richard Swan did a, did a full fantasy and sci-fi one. I nailed. I nailed the fantasy quiz. It's just yeah. that I, I know nothing about anything else. <laughs> the poetry pre nineteen fifty. That one. You have to have that one come in. Yes, I would. Yeah. I'd all about Byron. That, yeah. 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 All about Byron. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, that was absolutely brilliant. And just to the readers, uh, we'll be putting up all the answers and questions onto the blog, and I'll put links to all of the uh, books that Melissa recommended as well. I thought that worked really nicely. But thank you so much for coming on and for challenging the chicks and for chatting to us on Wednesday. And uh, yeah, no, it was It was really fun. I enjoyed it. You put a lot of thought into that. That was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Two Lit Chicks is a podcast about books that change lives. Find us on all major podcast platforms or go to our website at twolitchicks.org. Thanks for listening.